Hare Krishna. Uh, welcome. It's October 31st, um, 2019, Prabhupada's Disappearance Day. So, um, the first point uh, that I wanted to make about Prabhupada's uh, Disappearance Day is that um, we can test our advancement in Krishna consciousness by seeing to what extent for us this is actually a Prabhupada Appearance Day. Uh, I've often explained that when Prabhupada, the day he actually disappeared in uh, December of 1977, I was in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and I remember as I rode through the rain to the airport in uh, Congonhas, the city airport in Sao Paulo, flying to India, uh, the thought that two things actually were in my mind the day that Prabhupada disappeared. One was, uh, I remembered the, the verse in the Bhagavatam, oops, I better turn this, uh, that's someone reminding me to give the class. <laughs> that's nice. Uh, remembering the verse in the Bhagavatam, first canto, where Bhumi, the earth goddess, is lamenting that Krishna has departed and how she's suffering by the loss of, of the greatest personality. And so as I rode to the airport, uh, I remember still that uh, I was lamenting for the earth. I was lamenting for the earth that had lost such a great soul. And that's related to my second realization, which was that Prabhupada was still fully present with me and with us, that in fact, uh, externally, Prabhupada had disappeared, but not really. When I was a brahmachari in Berkeley in 1969, a few years ago, I remember a devotee received a letter from Prabhupada. Of course, in those days, whenever someone received a letter from Prabhupada, it was a big deal and everybody wanted to read it. So Prabhupada said in this letter that you are not seeing the real form of the spiritual master in the sense that one is seeing the external form. And uh, he gave the example that the clouds, clouds are driven by the wind and they move across the moon. But from our perspective, it looks like the moon is flying through the clouds. And so... To be honest, too often at these occasions, Prabhupada's appearance and disappearance day, we hear sometimes almost exclusively anecdotes about Prabhupada did this and Prabhupada did that. And of course, those stories are, we always want to hear them. However, uh, the, the actual internal vision of the spiritual master to see, to really see Prabhupada is to see his uh, his devotion and his mission. As I often say, Prabhupada came to this world for only one reason, 
and that is to save it or to be an instrument of Krishna. I even learned how to drink water from Prabhupada. So, um, Prabhupada is certainly present with us, just as Lord Krishna is present. I mean, they, they're a, a team. I remember that uh, many times when I went to the airport to receive Prabhupada, when he was coming from, I often received him at Los Angeles airport and usually he was flying from Hawaii or Japan or one of those places. And um, whenever Prabhupada, in those days there was no airport security. You just, you'd go up to the arrival gate or the departure gate and just wait for the person. So, um, Many times when Prabhupada would come through the jetway and I would see him for the first time coming off the plane, my first powerful realization would be that actually two people were coming off the plane, namely Prabhupada and Krishna. And it was so powerfully evident, palpable, that actually Krishna was coming with Prabhupada and you, you could feel it so strongly. Of course, not only at airports and other occasions also, uh, when I would go to see Prabhupada, I could see that Krishna was looking at me through Prabhupada's eyes, that, that Prabhupada really was a transparent representative of Krishna. So again, this day, the disappearance day, as Bhakti Yotakur says, he reasons ill. In other words, someone is being illogical. He reason, reasons ill who says that Vaishnavas die, but because they always live and, and, they're all, and with that perpetual life, they are spreading Krishna consciousness. So Prabhupada came to this world to uh, carry out his mission. And many times I spoke to Prabhupada privately and, and of course, publicly also. And Prabhupada revealed his ardent desire, his, his very strong desire, desire, a desire so strong that really governed his life. It was the um, governing principle of his life. And that is the desire to spread the mission of Lord Chaitanya to to act compassionately toward the fallen souls and to help them to come back to Krishna and to please Krishna by bringing back his lost children. So that's, that's the real Prabhupada. And that is how Prabhupada expressed his pure love for Krishna and his pure love for Lord Chaitanya by dedicating himself to their mission. Prabhupada would often say things like, you can measure your advancement in Krishna consciousness, or you can see how far you've advanced by looking at different indicators. It's like in your car, there's different little gauges that tell you like how much gas you have or how much charge there is left in the battery or you know, temperature and things like that. And so Bhakti Yoga is a science precisely because you can measure your advancement. And of course, the two main measurements are to what extent am I free from material desires and to what extent am I attached to Krishna? And that's how we measure our advancement. That's how you find yourself. If you imagine it's like a map that leads from wherever you are now back to Krishna, back to Godhead. And you can, you know, you need your own bhakti yoga GPS. 
uh, we all need to find ourselves exactly where we are and uh, you know estimated time of arrival and just like your GPS it will tell you if you're going off track if you are you know if you took the wrong road or something and so Krishna in the heart is ultimately our GPS and he tells us exactly where we are uh, whether we are on the right road if we've taken a wrong turn if there's trouble up ahead Krishna will tell us all those things so always on Prabhupada's disappearance day as on his appearance day to me it's just an, another uh, special opportunity to rededicate ourselves to what we're really supposed to be doing I remember when I uh, again when I almost my first day in living in a Hare Krishna temple imagine that um, I joined one day and then uh, it's kind of moving in and so on and then the next day I remember I was up in the temple room we had it was a two-story beautiful two-story house uh, near the Berkeley campus and um, sort of a chalet type house and there was an attic on the third floor and that attic devotees had converted into the temple room and I remember one day we had our morning program. The, the first program of the day back then was about, I guess, about seven o'clock in the morning. And only the Pujari would do Mangalarti. So after the morning program, we had a little kirtan and we had a class. And then everybody went downstairs to get ready. And some people were preparing breakfast. And I remember for some reason, I, I think because I'd only been in the temple, uh, probably less than a little less than 24 hours so the devotees in those days we'd always have morning duties so i think someone said me oh you can just stay here and chant you don't have to you know you'll start working soon enough so they let, they just sort of left me up in the temple and um i remember sitting there in front of our altar and i had a very powerful realization which was as simple as it was powerful and to understand why this realization was so powerful to me in those days in berkeley in 1969 and you know all those years 67 68 69 there was a very very strong current of hedonism hedonism which means uh read it from the dictionary hedonism means uh the pursuit of pleasure sensual self-indulgence and in philosophy it means the theory that pleasure satisfying your desires is the highest good and proper aim of human life so that enjoy what Prabhupada called the enjoying spirit and in Berkeley we were everyone was just absorbed in trying to enjoy their body their mind everything and I had this powerful realization just sitting there that came from Krishna that I should not try to enjoy, I should serve. I'm actually meant to serve. And of course that's, you know, that's Krishna consciousness 1A. That's a very simple, basic idea. But if we realize it strongly, then it's, it is a, a life-changing realization. And perhaps a realization we don't have often enough. That really I'm not meant 
I mean, I'm meant to be happy in Krishna's plan. If I live my life properly, I will be amazingly happy, but I should not be trying to please myself any more than the hand should be trying to eat the food. The, the food goes to the mouth, to the stomach. You know, Prabhupada's famous example, actually it comes from the Bhagavatam. Uh, or trying to water the root of the tree rather than leaves. Uh, which means literally just as by watering a tree's root, uh, the trunk of the tree is satisfied, and also the branches and twigs. Pranopaharat, or by uh, feeding the core, as you might say, you know, the stomach, by feeding our, our prana, our vital energy, which is down there with the stomach. Pranopaharajitendriyana, just as all uh, there is satisfaction of all the senses. Pranopaharat, so by pranopahara, prana upahara, upahara means feeding or eating. So by prana upahara, there is indriya upahara. You're actually feeding all your senses by feeding the stomach. So Tataiva, exactly in that way, Sarvarhanam, you have honored everything that should be honored, Achuteja, by offering yourself to Achuta Krishna. So by, by offering your life, by offering everything you do and eat, by offering everything to Krishna, to Achuta, you are respecting and honoring everything that should be respected and honored. That's literally what the verse means, actually. So the simple realization by Prabhupada's mercy that life is not about trying to enjoy, it's about trying to serve. And ironically, if I try to serve Krishna, if I try to make Krishna happy, I will make myself happy and if I try to make myself happy, I will make myself miserable. Of course, which we've all experienced, right? I mean, I'm sure everyone listening here is probably old enough to have made themselves miserable multiple times. It's tricky because Prabhupada also preached that if you want to be happy, serve Krishna. And so Prabhupada appealed, you could say, to our rational hedonic instincts. In other words, because the soul is by nature happy, the soul wants to be happy in the sense the soul wants to be himself or herself. It's just like because we are eternal as souls, we are really, to use the old expression, freaked out by the idea of dying. You know, getting old, disease, I have no idea what that's like to get old because I'm nowhere near that. But so some of you are actually older. Tell me what it's like. So, um, so Prabhupada appeal, appealed to our rational self-interest, just like that verse from Prahlad Maharaj, Nathaviduk um, Vishnu. Uh, people do not understand Nathaviduk. They don't understand that Svartagatin, that the real way to get to your self-interest that's exactly the word Prahlad uses, swa-artha, literally self-interest. And gati, like the path, 
the real path to your self-interest, the real way to pursue your self-interest, uh, uh, is Vishnu, by trying to please Vishnu. So this requires some intelligence because on the one hand, if you try to enjoy, that's Maya, but if you try to be happy in a rational Krishna conscious way, even though you seek your own happiness and Prabhupada constantly appealed to our natural desire to be happy, but I understand that the only way to achieve happiness is by trying to please Krishna. So that may be, you could call it sadhana pursuit of self-interest. But as you do this, as you get a higher taste, just like Rupa Goswami says, First, you have to have some faith that there's something beneficial in Krishna consciousness. That's like entry-level basic faith. There is something beneficial in Krishna consciousness. If I pursue Krishna consciousness to some extent, uh, it will be good for me in some way. So that's, that's, that's the beginning. Adosha dha tatak, then, tatak means then, uh, sadhu sangha. Adosha dha, because if you realize there is something favorable in Krishna consciousness, then uh, you associate with devotees because that's where you find Krishna consciousness. So, adosha dha tatak sadhu sangha tatak, and then if you're hanging out with, to use the colloquial, or if you're associating with devotees, then naturally, bhajana kriya, you engage in devotional activities. For example, if you are associating with good devotees, then uh, you eat prasadam, because devotees eat prasadam, or you may hear about Krishna, or you may be engaged in service. Like if you are associating with people and they're doing something, they'll say, hey, could you help us do this? So with devotees, when you just help out, as they say, lend a helping hand, then you are engaged in bhakti yoga. So by, by sadhu sangha, association with devotees, then naturally uh, there is bhajana kriya, devotional activities. And then by these devotional activities, anartha nirbhiti sat, you stop doing useless things because there are only so many hours in the day and if you're eating prasadam, then you're not going to eat boga. At least you'll eat a lot less boga. If you're uh, hearing about Krishna, you're not hearing about useless things, which are called anartha, meaning having no value. Anartha, no value. Useless, literally useless. And so on until you gradually become fixed. Atoni sta. Sta is, we still have an English stand. English stand is just Sanskrit sta, or English status. And so knee means down or upon. So when you're really like firmly standing on a, you know, on a good foundation, that's called knee sta. That's what the word means, actually. So tatoni sta, then bhajana, and then anartha nivritti. Oh, before knee sta, there's anartha nivritti. You uh, give up activities which simply don't benefit you. They're useless. There's no benefit. And then from, from Nishta, 
you really start to get spiritual pleasure in all your devotional activities. Uh, and then, of course, there's bhava and prema. So, um, Prabhupada created all of this for us. And, and of course, it begins by just having some faith and, um, and associating with devotees, and Prabhupada created all those opportunities. So I had that realization just sitting there on day one or day two in the Berkeley Temple that, oh, it's not about trying to enjoy, it, it's serving. That's what I should do. And, and it was a realization, very simple, but that completely transformed my life. And we need to transform our lives on a regular basis. On a regular basis. Um, otherwise, I've said this many times, but when you do something repetitively, uh, over and over again, two things happen. Number one, you, you get good at it. You develop a certain skill. And number two, you become unconscious of it. Uh, in fact, we have the word sadhana, which means practice, practicing, in our case, devotional service. In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna uses a synonym for that word. He doesn't say sadhana. He uses the word abhyasa, which means the same thing, abhyasa. And abhyasa also means repetition. So when you chant Hare Krishna, let's say you chant 16 rounds, like that's an hour, well, maybe two hours every day chanting approximately, of just three words. And so when you chant over and over again, it becomes a good habit. But also by all this repetition, you can become unconscious. Like let, let's say, for example, you drive every day to the same place and you do it every day. Then you say, oh, I could drive there in my sleep or I could drive there with my eyes closed. And so what does that actually mean? It means that because you've done it so many times, you don't have to pay attention. You can do it without even being really conscious, without paying attention to it. And that's also a problem in bhakti yoga. The same sadhana that, in a sense, you know, helps you also can make you unconscious of what you're doing. You just, we just don't pay attention. And that's a real challenge to, to practice Krishna consciousness, to keep doing it, but not to become unconscious. So we're literally chanting in our sleep, so to speak. So uh, today is Prabhupada's Disappearance Day. Again, you can test yourself. We can test ourselves to see how we're advancing by seeing to what extent this really feels like an appearance day for us because it's a day when we become more uh, intimately connected with Prabhupada. Just as the gopis, uh, they associated more intensely with Krishna when he left Vrindavan because of that ecstatic transcendental separation, it was actually even a higher form of meeting. And so in the same way, uh, when we think of Prabhupada's disappearance, his absence, if we understand it correctly, it actually brings us to a higher, more intense stage of, uh, of meeting Prabhupada, of being in Prabhupada's association. And in Prabhupada's association, I mean, if those of us who had that good fortune, when we were with Prabhupada, you had to do some service. You wouldn't just be with Prabhupada and, you know, read a news magazine or just, you know, talk about some material thing. Especially in Prabhupada's association, everyone, as they say, was on their best behavior. 
And, and in Prabhupada's personal association, devotees are very careful to be Krishna conscious. And so if we are really experiencing Prabhupada's association today, then we should intensify, strengthen, increase our determination to serve Prabhupada's mission in some practical way. Not that we meet a pure devotee or come into, the, uh, come into knowledge of a pure devotee, receive the blessings of a pure devotee, and then just proceed, go along our merry, selfish way. That means we didn't really understand Prabhupada. You can't really understand Prabhupada and not serve him. If you actually understand Prabhupada, you do serve him. And you do those things which were most pleasing to Prabhupada, which, of course, uh, those things were spreading his mission. So, uh, thank you very much. Let me see if there's any questions here. Uh, as I said, if you have a question, please write lots of question marks. So I can, as I'm scrolling through, I can see it's a question. Here's a question. Uh, Okay, uh, por favor, dígame si hacer que la gente comprenda que nuestra felicidad está en servir a Krishna es suficiente para empezar a tallar la conciencia de otros poco a poco. Uh, please tell me if uh, making people understand that our happiness comes from serving Krishna, is that sufficient to begin to uh, develop their uh, help the consciousness of others little by little. The truth is what works. La verdad es lo que funciona. So uh, with everyone we meet, we just do the best we can to help them in their Krishna consciousness. And yes, if they see that we're happy, if they see that we are kind of miserable, then no one's going to believe that Krishna consciousness makes you happy. So it's really important that we be happy. El canto automático podría llevarnos a aprender actitud no transformadora. Yeah. If we chant just automatically, we're not going to make supersonic advancement. Okay, here's a question. Um, would it be more appropriate to say one is to observe the disappearance of Sri Prabhupada than say celebrate? If not, then in what context can the word? We, we can celebrate Prabhupada's glory. We're not celebrating the fact that he left the world. We're celebrating the fact that he's such a great soul. So it's, you know, it just depends on... Uh, you want to use words? Um, let's see. Okay, here's a question. Uh, with Srila Prabhupada's disappearance, it also causes confusion for many, which brings sadness to my heart as we see his movement so fragmented today. What would be your advice as a number one factor to revive his movement? Well, it's a very interesting question. Um, if we really understand Prabhupada, if we really care about Prabhupada, and then we don't fragment, we don't divide up his movement. For example, I started Krishna West, which some of you, probably all of you know, and I fought very hard to establish it in, in ISKCON. But, um, but I, I knew the boundaries, and the boundaries were, you know, not to break up Prabhupada society. Many people have actually said to me, you know, why are you going through all this hassle? Why, you know, 
But the leaders, why don't you just make your own movement? And, and I explained to them, well, because that's not what Prabhupada wants. And the purpose of all my activities is to please Prabhupada. So uh, people who leave ISKCON or people who cause sort of irreconcilable, irreconcilable uh, fragmentations, they just don't understand. They, they just don't understand Prabhupada. Or at least they don't understand him fully. I'm sure they know something about Prabhupada. But you cannot deeply understand Prabhupada and leave his mission. You cannot deeply understand Prabhupada and just cause havoc in his mission. So uh, those of us, and there are many of us, and not just people in my program, but many programs, those, those of us who really care about Prabhupada, we work together. We keep us kind of united. And we all do our best. And those who cannot relate to that, uh, you know, be happy or try to be happy. So let's see. Any other questions? Uh, another one. Someone's double dipping here. Uh, would it be more appropriate to say wanted to observe the? Oh, that's the same question, actually. I already answered that person did not double dip. That was the same. Oh, okay. Here's the question. Uh, what really impressed you greatly when you became intimate with Sridhar Prabhupada? Oh, I see some more questions here. Uh, Prabhupada impressed me greatly before I became intimate with him. I mean, the, the first time I saw Prabhupada in this life, uh, he came and spoke at my school, the University of California in Berkeley, and I was just walking down the street. It was actually, Prabhupada spoke at an auditorium, uh, on, you know, a university auditorium, uh, on the street where I lived, just about a block or two down from where I lived. And uh, so I, I went in. And we sat on, I, I went and sat with the devotees. I, I wanted to really figure out, like, what is this Krishna consciousness? So I didn't sit in one of the seats. I went with my friends. They sat in the seats. I just went and sat on the floor with the devotees. I thought, I really want to get into this, see what it is. So Prabhupada came in. And I've often explained this. My very first impression of Prabhupada, the first time I saw him in this life, was that number he he had real authority. He struck me. Uh, it was it was like watching watching a powerful military commander walk into a room with just natural authority. And of course, he was surrounded by his disciples like Vishnu Jana and Tamal Krishna. And uh, they were also very serious in Prabhupada's presence. So I, I just remember he walked in from the back of the auditorium, and it just the first, it just struck me that, and and in those days, in 1969 in Berkeley, to say that someone older than 30 years old had authority was unheard of, because you know we didn't obviously our parents we loved them but they didn't understand anything, and even our professors they understand some they understood some things but they didn't show up for the really heavy demonstrations and political activities because they didn't want to lose their jobs so they didn't fully understand and uh, you know no one really understood but when i saw Prabhupada, even as a sort of revolutionary berkeley student i i just looking at him the way he walked i thought this person has authority and uh and then he came in and kirtan started and of course the devotees i mean there was only Prabhupada in those days because there were very few books published we had, I mean, devotees had Prabhupada's original India printing of the Bhagavatam. There was no Bhagavad Gita as it is. And so Prabhupada's personal association was, and, and, and of course, the Sunday feast. That's really what kept everyone going. And so 
so the kirtan started. The joys were so ecstatic; they were just dancing ecstatically. And then, and then Prabhupada got up off his vyasasana, and he began dancing. He was he was jumping, and of course, Prabhupada at that time that was 1969 in winter, so Prabhupada was 72 years old, which for us back then was like being sort of like you know like 790, like one of those biblical ages, you know, like how long did Noah live and how long did all the patriarchs live? So, you know, 72 in those days for us was like centuries old. So when Prabhupada got up off his Vyasasana and began dancing in ecstasy, I was stunned. I'd never seen anything like it. The devotees went completely berserk. The devotees went crazy with ecstasy and there were bodies flying all around me and I, I was completely disoriented. I'd never participated in an ecstatic religious event and seeing all these bodies, everyone was young. I mean, all of the disciples, they were just flying. And I remember getting disoriented, almost like Arjuna says in chapter 11 of the Gita that I no longer know the directions to show Najane. Like Arjuna was so bewildered by the universal form. He didn't know what was up or down or left or right. Even the directions themselves, he couldn't make out. And so I kind of felt like that. So Prabhupada gave his talk, and then when I became intimate, I mean, if I can say that, because you can really only become intimate with Prabhupada by service and by higher consciousness, but when I took sannyas, that was a game changer. I mean, Prabhupada was always very kind to me, but when I took sannyas, I sort of could go into Prabhupada's room more often, get his association, although I, I kind of got carried away. So one time I just went into Prabhupada's room, Prabhupada was talking to someone else and he just looked at me and said, what are you doing here? <laughs> so I took that as an invitation to leave. So I realized like, you can't just go in anytime you want. But then Prabhupada made me GBC. And, and one amazing thing, Prabhupada always seemed to know more about me than I could understand. I mean, I, from my point of view, whenever I was in Prabhupada's association, I was just kind of, you know, I didn't, I just felt really unintelligent. And I mean, I never thought that I said anything intelligent in Prabhupada Association, but he would always say about me, oh, he's very intelligent. So I always wonder, like, why do you, I had no idea how he got that idea. But, but still, Prabhupada personally chose me to be GBC in 1974. He asked, he chose me to be GBC in Latin America. And then, of course, I would see him even more often. So I would say my impression it just became refined, but didn't change. The more I got to know Prabhupada, the more I saw that he's a pure devotee, that he is only desires to serve Krishna, and he's always with Krishna. And if I know what's good for me, I will serve him. So I'd say that's, you know, in a few words, that was my impression. So uh, what are the differences between ISKCON and Krishna West? People often ask that question, uh, and... The good news is ISKCON, uh, Krishna West is an ISKCON project. So in that sense, there's absolutely no difference. If you say, what's the difference between Krishna West and other ISKCON projects? Uh, the difference is that uh, we believe, based on overwhelming historical scriptural evidence and evidence in the Acharyas, that it's our duty to make uh, non-devotees as comfortable as possible with us so that they can easily... Uh, as painlessly as possible, uh, take up the practice of Krishna consciousness. So I'd say that's the simple difference. Uh, and then, um, so I already answered that question. Let me see what happens when I click that button. Uh, nothing. <laughs> 
Ok, uh, cree que debe, de, deberíamos de bajar un poco las revoluciones, no en la, lo cualitativo, sino en la cantidad de dosificación de la predica. I think, uh, okay, do you believe that we should lower a little the revolutionary tone and uh, maybe sweeten the pre preaching? You know, the truth is what works. They've done studies that showed that the churches that are growing the most, the Christian churches are growing most nowadays do two things. Number one, they're not medieval in their outward appearance. No comment. But it's gone. They're not medieval in their external appearance. And number two, they actually preach strongly. So, you know, a lot of people, they don't want uh, malicious preaching or insulting preaching or immature preaching, but they want to, you know, they want some good medicine. So I think we should just tell the truth as diplomatically, as nicely as we can, but we need to tell the truth. Hey, good old Flavio. Uh, let's see, any other questions? Uh, What about Tripurari Swami? That's interesting. Uh, I don't keep up with Tripurari. I, I don't know so much what he's doing right now. I've heard this and I've heard that. Uh, so of course, I mean, I respect, you know, all Vaishnavas and I don't want to criticize anyone personally. Uh, I was personally trained by Prabhupada and Prabhupada very, very strongly emphasized to me the importance of serving his mission directly. And uh, I started Krishna West and I got tremendous opposition and many leaders thought I was the anti-Krishna and we had so many struggles. But I think if anything, what, what was proved by this whole struggle to establish Krishna West, that even that if you really want to serve Prabhupada's mission directly, it's possible. And that I don't really believe that anyone really who who understands Prabhupada and who's truly who's actually faithful to Prabhupada not just throwing a picture up or saying it, but anyone who's really faithful to Prabhupada can find a way to work in his mission I believe that and uh, it's just true it may not be easy it may require sometimes we have to be tolerant which is obviously very unfavorable for your spiritual life right I mean I mean who wants to be tolerant what does that have to do with spiritual life Lord Chaitanya said, uh, but we should be more tolerant than the tree. So sometimes we have to humble ourselves a bit. I mean, hopefully not too much, but um, we have to humble ourselves some much. Sometimes we have to be very tolerant. And if we're willing to be tolerant and be a little humble and patient, then you can always find a way to work in ISKCON if that's really what you want to do. If you really understand Prabhupada, sometimes people, you know, so-called acharyas or gurus that leave ISKCON say they've met someone else who is equal to Prabhupada. Uh, to me, that is really a threat to the whole concept of the spiritual science. I have met these other, say, God brothers of Prabhupada. I've met them many times who some uh, gurus say they're equal to Prabhupada and they're not. Well, they're not close to being equal to Prabhupada. They're, you know, they're our spiritual uncles. I very happily offer my obeisances to them. I strictly observe Vaishnav etiquette with them. I don't criticize them. Uh, but to say they're equal to Prabhupada is really kind of delusional. Especially because 
as Prabhupada pointed out, the test of, of how Krishna conscious you are is how much you really get out there and, and work for Lord Chaitanya's mission. Someone will say that, well, Gorky Shortas Babaji was a Babaji, and yeah, but he had one disciple who, who was Bhakti Siddhanta. So when you get your disciple who's on the platform of Bhakti Siddhanta, then you certainly have all my blessings to go, you know, sit at Radha Kund or sit in your ashram and just chant Hare Krishna. So first get your Bhakti Siddhanta and then, you know, then you can retire. So again, I don't want to criticize anyone. I will say that anyone who actually understands Prabhupada deeply, I mean, everyone knows something about Prabhupada, but if you really deeply understand Prabhupada, you serve his mission. And if you are serious about your own spiritual life, you can find a way to do that. ISKCON can be difficult. It can be aggravating. Sometimes, you know, the leaders can be unfair. You know, all the leaders, because it's just, we're all imperfect in this world. Krishna says every activity in this world is covered by some fault. But if you really want to serve Prabhupada's mission directly, ISKCON, it is possible. You will find a way and you will find people who will support you. And that was absolutely true uh, for, you know, the people that left ISKCON, I know, because many of them I personally went at great personal trouble and begged them to stay in ISKCON. I assured them, and these were credible assurances, that we could adjust things, that we would work it out, and these people decided to leave anyway without even testing my offer. These people, these gurus that left ISKCON, uh, I know in certain very famous cases, I was you know, a very influential leader back in those days. I wasn't controversial. And I said, look, whatever your difficulty is, we'll work it out. You know, I promise you that we'll, we'll make this happen. And uh, that individual um, did not take me up on that offer. Did not say, okay, you know, I'll give you a month or two or see what you can do. And if you can't work this, no, just left. And then, of course, tells everybody that they wouldn't let me work in this country. So if you want to serve Prabhupada's mission directly, you can do it. And if you don't understand Prabhupada at an advanced level, and you think this person's equal to Prabhupada, or that person's equal to Prabhupada, even though they haven't done one thousandth of the devotional service that Prabhupada did, then, uh, you know, Shanghai Krishna be happy. So, um, did I miss anything? I don't think so. Um, I think that's it. If I, I apologize if you asked a question. Oh, here's one. I just saw it now. Would you like to share your thoughts on book changes, especially on Bhagavad Gita? Good. I prefer we just stick to non-controversial topics here. Okay. It, it's, it's as far as the book changes. It's really very simple. But since many people are determined to make simple things complicated, we have the mess we have. Uh, that was just a uh, Ricola. If I show this to you, I, I get money from the company. That's why I did it. I, I'm paid to take one of these Ricolas during my class. As far as Prabhupada's books, here are a few simple, obvious facts. Number one. When you have a religious movement, or even if it's not a religious movement, but especially 
with the religious movement and you have certain books which are foundational texts. In other words, those books are the foundation of a religion or a religious movement. And you have editions of the book which were published during the author's lifetime. And the author is the founder and the foundation of the movement. You don't change them afterwards. Now there's a few little exceptions like things which are just crazy. For example, Prabhupada translates Pitri Loka as the world of the Pitris or the forefathers. Whoever was typing that and didn't understand Prabhupada said the world of the trees, not the Pitris, but the trees. I mean, Pitri Loka does not mean the world or the planet of the trees. And so you can change that, but then you put a footnote. It's very simple. I mean, scholars figured these things out thousands of years ago. You just put a footnote. Or for example, let's say you have a case where you can prove that some of Prabhupada's original dictation was taken out of the book. And you want to restore Prabhupada's original text. All right, you put it back in, but again, you put a note and you say this text, you know, from here to here, this text was not in the edition published during Prabhupada's life, which you can just abbreviate, you know, say original, explain what you mean by original. However, uh, and you know, an editorial review team has concluded on good evidence that this was, or we have proof that Prabhupada originally dictated this. So you put it back in, but you put a note. So the reader knows exactly what you're doing. Now, what about the case, and the BBT has said this, and I think it's a, it's a, it, this is a very weak argument, that we can edit the book better. You know, we, we are just better editors now. And they actually do get this argument. That's a very poor uh, justification. Because if you know about literature, you know that every generation has their own taste and style in editing. So when we're dead and gone, maybe 30, 40 years from now, some people in the BBT will say, well, actually, that editing maybe was appreciated 30 or 40 years ago, but we don't, people don't edit books like that anymore. That is no longer considered to be proper editing. So basically every 34 years, you have to redo all of Prabhupada's books, which is absurd. And so again, there are a few crazy mistakes like planet of the Petries saying planet of the trees. So you change that, put a note. But the good news is there are very, very few things like that. We're talking about a tiny handful of things. Then cases where it can be proved that Prabhupada's original dictation was taken out, you put it back in, but you put a clear note so everybody knows exactly what you're doing. As far as style, sorry, game over. You know, now the fact is that this whole debate will be absolutely meaningless 30 or 40 years from now. Because according to law, I mean, roughly 30, 40 years, whatever the exact number is, 
the BBT will lose the copyright. The copyright means that only they can publish it because copyrights expire. You know, it's like, I don't know, it's like, you know, fruits and vegetables, you know, you know, after a certain date, you can't eat them anymore. So copyrights expire and books go into the public domain. For example, you have a legal right to publish your own version of Shakespeare. Or for example, someone did a book and then it became a movie called Pride and Prejudice and the Zombies. Now, if you would have done that 200 years ago, when Jane Austen or her family, she passed away about 202 years ago, whoever held the copyright, or if you would have done it 205 years ago when Jane Austen was alive, she could have sued you in court. I mean, you couldn't do that, assuming they had the same copyright laws. But once a book goes into the public domain, anyone, so that's why if you go, for example, into a bookstore, you can find hundreds of different Bibles. And the time will come when you will find probably dozens of different versions of Bhagavad Gita as it is. Bhagavad Gita, you know, Bhagavad Gita as it is for children. Gita as it is for people with you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. Or Bhagavad Gita as it is for, I don't know, artists or you know a woman's guide or a man's guide you know the perfect gita for your man cave or something so you know or bhagavad gita in jive or in you know or, or whatever so once the copyright expires everyone can do their own gita and of course the bbt should publish in a sense the most conservative because everybody else can and will do everything else and therefore, it's obvious to me the duty of the BBT is to preserve a very conservative edition, which is as close as possible to Prabhupada, the edition published during Prabhupada's life, restoring text, but clearly noted when you restore text, and changing the very, very small number of absurdities which should be changed. And that's it. It's really simple. And I think the BBT will do the right thing. And uh, this we can move on to other more interesting conflicts. So, uh, I think that's it. So thank you very much for listening. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. I wish you all happiness and success in your service to Prabhupada. Thank you for listening. Hare Krishna.